What's up, everyone? This is the Nuts and Bolts Podcast, and I'm your host, the one Jamie, here with our amazing co-host, Airball. Hey, guys. And Michael Kritz is out today on a date with Elish Norn, and we're here to give you the nuts ooh. and bolts uh, ooh, of the standard and pioneer formats each and every week. But first, let me talk to you about the sponsor of the podcast, CoolStuffInc.com. Using code JAMES5, you can save 5% off of anything in the store, sealed products, singles, anything you could ever need in Magic the Gathering and any other card game, if you will. They have it. Go save yourself from hard-earned money and go to CoolStuffInc.com today. Let's start off with our upkeep today. It's the jargon once again. Today, it's clock. No, that's not the midnight clock. It's a threat that will lead to victory over an opponent in a finite number of turns, thus giving the opponent a known time limit in which to either win or answer the threat. For example, if a player is at 20 life and an unblockable creature with a power of four is played by their opponent, that player is said to be on a five-turn clock. This is very, very useful in, in thinking like, Oh, how do I win the game? Okay, I can put, I can either do this action or I can do this action. If I do this action, it puts them on like a three-turn clock, and it's usually like a better better thing to do if you are on the beatdown. If you want to know what a beatdown is, that's in like one of our original episodes. But uh, any anything, any I guess you have your blue eye control shark typhoon math that you have to do. You you don't want to if they're if they're at twenty one, you don't want to make it a six six. You got to make it a seven seven because you got to make it a three-turn clock. Yeah, I mean for sure, but you're also it. Knowing about clocks in general is pretty useful in terms of reasoning about how to play your control deck, right? If you're looking at your opponent and you know how their mono-red deck plays, you know that you're on a three-turn clock or a four-turn clock. You know how much time you have to stabilize. And that can dictate whether or not you feel like you need to remove one of their threats right now or whether you can set up your uh, your board a little better. So it, it's valuable to think about magic in terms of clocks and what happens if no one does anything. When will the game end? Exactly. So now that we're done with talking about clocks... We're going to go to the main phase. We're talking about the standard meta game today, which is an interesting thing to talk about since we have the we have a really good list of of uh, decks. It's like twenty something Man. decks worth, right? All this talk about clocks and decks. I know. Gosh, and Michael's just, not even around. Yeah. I know. I wish Michael's around to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> All this talk about clocks and decks, and Michael's not even here. Um, but we have the top 10 decks, and this is derived out off of tournaments, derived off of MTG Melee data, and a lot of data from MTG Arena, and to gather all of the best decks in standard and all of their um, win rates and, um, and aggregate win rates, aggregate deck lists, and also metagame share. So we're going to talk about all of those today. We do are going to go over the top 10, but we're going to go over the top, we're going to go over 10, 9, 8, 7, and 6, and then the next episode, part 2, is going to be five, four, three, two, and one. So we're gonna go over some honorable mentions that didn't make the top 10. And these decks might be some decks that you might have already played or see all the time, but it didn't make the top 10. Doesn't mean they can't make the top 10 next week, but they just didn't make the top 10 today. It is Mono White Angels, Orzov Midrange, Naya Enchantments, Boros Reanimator, Grixis Power Stones, Is It Tempo, Azorius Aggro, not to be confused with Azorius Soldiers, Mono White Soldiers, Jund Sacrifice, Jund Midrange, see how both of these decks have fallen off, Mono White Aggro, Boros Aggro. This also consists of Naya Reanimator, that reanimates things like Portal to Phyrexia, Esper Control, Jeskai Power Stones, Mardu Angels, which has seen a surge in play but does not make the top 10, Azorius Midrange, Esper Legends, which 
you would think to be in the top 10, but is not at number 12. Number 11, Mono Black Aggro, everyone's favorite aggro deck, not in the top 10. So, with that said, what does make it into the top 10? Now, the list that we're going to go over today, we're going to go over aggregate lists of the top 10, and we're going to go from 10, of course, down to 6. And we're going to kind of relate this to how good we think they are in the meta and talk about their meta shares and everything like that. So the first deck we're going to talk about is Boros Midrange that comes in at number 10. Yeah, before you get too deep into that, um, I think it's valuable to talk about the methodology of the list first um, to make sure that people understand what record weighted means. It's not necessarily that Mardu Angels is bad, right? It might have had a great win rate, but almost no one played it. I think we should probably make that clear. Okay, perfect. I will right now. And not to say like a deck like Mardu Angels is not good, but the way this metagame share is constructed is that maybe it just wasn't played as often or played as much or and to have a larger share of the metagame. And if it did have a larger share of the metagame with a decent enough win rate, it would have made it up higher on the list. Not to say the deck is bad, but and because these decks, some of these decks did do really good in tournaments, but they don't have a high enough uh, metagame share percentage to make it into the top 10. So with that said, let us get into the 10th deck, and that is Boros Midrange. This is basically mono white midrange, and the only card it's splashing for in red is, you know, the best card in standard, Fable the Mirror Breaker. There's a couple sideboard cards, two Flame Blessed Bolts, and one Jaya Fiery Negotiator, and you can watch this on YouTube if you're listening to this and you want to actually watch, uh, see the decks for yourself. But this deck has a new card, Lauren of the Third Path, and I'm just going to rattle off the cards in the deck if you are listening to this and not watching this, and then we can talk about the cards afterwards for a little bit. We have four Ambitious Farmhand, three Lauren of the Third Path, two Sarah Paragon, two Sanctuary Warden, two Cathar Commando, two Steel Seraph, three Wandering Emperor, four Laydown Arms, one Farewell, four Reckoner Bankbuster, four Fable the Mirror Breaker, three Wedding Announcement, two Destroy Evil, and the Amalgamation of Lands is uh, uh, some Plains, some Mountains, some Down Pass, Jetmere's Garden, uh, Iganjo, Sacred Peaks, and road, two copies of Roadside Reliquary, which I really like in this deck, because you can also bring it back with... Um, with the Sarah Paragon and draw more cards again. Um, the sideboard here consists of two Depopulate, two Flame Blessed Bolt, one Unlicensed Hearse, two March of Otherworldly Light, one Farewell, one Jaya Fiery Negotiator, one more Wedding Announcement to round out the playset, one Elspeth Resplendent, one Temporary Lockdown, one Restoration of Iganjo, which is an interesting inclusion as a one-of in the sideboard, and two copies of Urza's Silex the one that they, each player chooses six lands they control and destroy all other permanents, the two and double light one, which is um, a card that I think I haven't seen before in a deck. Uh, I mean, I've seen Karn Silex, but I don't think I've seen Urza Silex in a deck like this, so happy to see it in here. What are your first thoughts, Airball, on this deck making the top 10? Yeah, it was kind of funny when I heard you say that it was basically mono white splash red, because when I looked at this list, I thought, oh, this is just Boros Reanimator, but they finally decided to cut the reanimator. It used to be that th that deck had Invoke Justice in the deck, and the point was to use Fable and a few other effects to get Sanctuary Warden into the graveyard and recur it through uh, Invoke Justice. And Boros Midrange now, it looks like, just took that philosophy and said, Sanctuary Warden is good enough just to cast fairly and win. The other thing I notice about this list in particular is all of the main deck enchantment hate. 
three copies of Lauren of the Third Path, a two one for three, which is terrible unless you get to kill an enchantment on the uh, when it comes into play. That's that's a huge concession to Fable of the Mirror Breaker being a dominant force in the format and wedding announcement and things like that. Two copies of Destroy Evil does the same thing. Two copies of Cathar Commando do the same thing. Uh, and even one main deck copy of Farewell. Um, this deck is planning to not get beat by enchantments. Right. And uh, I do think I know the reason now why Restoration of Igonjo is on the sideboard. It's for when you play against decks with enchantments like Fable of the Mirror Breaker and Wedding Announcement, you can bring back your Cathar Commando again from the graveyard yeah. because it's two mana value or less. So getting added value from Cathar Commando from Restoration of Agonjo is is a real reason to play the card, not just that it gets a planes and makes a 3-4. Um, I mean, this deck's really good. I mean, mono, mono white midrange has proven over the course of the last few weeks to be a contender for beating the the black-based midrange decks. Like, might be one of the reasons why mono black aggro snuck itself out of the top 10 into 11th. Might be one of the reasons why... Um, why like other like just black white mid-range isn't in the format or black red mid-range might be a little bit farther down um this deck kind of munches up on all the back place mid-range decks yeah i mean four copies of reckoner bankbuster is really not what Crixus wants to see uh if you're playing against it um this deck basically does concede that if you play aggro against it you will probably win because everything it does is just kind of mopey otherwise but if this deck gets to turn six turn seven um it like it can just cast a giant seal seraph wandering emperor as a win condition on her own uh this deck can do some can do some work right uh in game ones your aggro deck probably always beats this unless they draw like multiple copies of late on arms or or you all of a sudden can't attack through um you know a sanctuary warden or like still seraph lifelinking but that's why in the sideboard there's like there's like depopulates and flame bless bolts and another farewell but even then, it doesn't even look like there's that many depopulates in here. There's two depopulates in the entire 75, two flame blessed bolts. Like, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like this deck is very well equipped or even wants to be equipped to play against mono red or like, you know, uh, white blue soldiers. Oh, I think this deck would have an extremely difficult time against soldiers. Yeah. So that might be why it makes it in at number 10. But let's talk about number nine on the list. Moving up to Mardu Midrange. This is a variation on Mardu Angels, but it doesn't go as hard into Angels, but it does have some Angels. It's four Archangel of Wrath, two Sarah Paragon, four Blood Tithe Harvester, two Sanctuary Warden, two Lorna the Third Path. You see a little little bit of a, <laughs> um, I don't know what, well, I don't know what you call it, uh, pattern here. Uh, one Ao the Dawn Sky, three Wandering Emperor, one Soul Transfer, one Rite of Oblivion, Two Reckoner Bankbuster, four Wedding Announcement, four Mate Fable the Mirror Breaker, one Abrade, and three Go for the Throat. Um, notable lands here. I don't think there's any notable lands here outside of like Sokinzan, Iganjo, and Takanuma. Everything else is pretty stock with the Pain Lands and, and uh, Slow Lands. Our sideboard consists of one Reckoner Bankbuster, two Brotherhoods, and two more Lorna the Third Path. Holy moly, the full playset is in here, my friend. Um, two Phyrexian Missionary, which is the card that has Kicker for one and a black to add another creature back from Grave to Hand. One more Rite of Oblivion, the, filling out the playset to go for the throats. Two Unlicensed Hearse, three Duress, and one more Soul Transfer. So, what are your, what are your first looks on Mardu Midrange that is not playing Giada as, like, the Mardu Angels list, but has taken out Giada and put more Blood Tithe Harvesters and maybe more Interaction? 
Yeah, the first thing that you notice when you look at a list like that is that it's extremely grindy, right? It has the Rakdos core of Fable and Blood Tithe Harvester, because just about every deck in the format does right now. Um, the choices of removal are interesting. You have Soul Transfer and Rite of Oblivion as exile-based removal to deal with opposing um, difficult-to-remove threats like AO. So this kind of wants to... This is kind of like teching against the mirror in a weird way, uh, in a way that I'm not sure is justified giving it, given its metagame share yet. But Sarah Paragon, great grindy card. Ao, great grindy card. Sanctuary Warden, great grindy card. And the same is true for Wedding Announcement, Fable, Reckoner, Bankbuster. Um, Standard is a mid-range mess right now, and this is designed to take advantage of it. Yeah, the first thing I thought, like, this deck gets to play, like, the full four copies of Wedding Announcement, full four copies of Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Like, the only thing this deck doesn't want to see on the opposite side of the, of the, of the room, of the, of the playing field, is freaking Farewell. Like, you just yep. don't want to get farewell when you're playing this. I, like, I'm looking at this, and I don't see, like, any way out of getting farewelled. Like, uh... Yeah, I mean, you have three copies of the Wandering Emperor, um, and you, you need to take care to play around farewell, right? Like, wedding announcement develops a, a board state that needs to be answered. If you just don't play into farewell, if you have that kind of board state, um, you can reserve enough cards in hand to, play, to, to beat farewell. But it's definitely a beating when it resolves. Yeah, I, I feel like this deck is way way more well-equipped to beat aggro than the last deck that we just saw. There's four oh, yeah. copies of Archangel of Wrath. Bloodtooth Harvester kills little creatures. We don't have as many instants and sorceries in here, just one soul transfer and one right of oblivion for sorceries, and instants are one abrade and three go from threats. But the creatures in this deck is really where it shines. Like, you can't, you can't really outvalue Sanctuary Warden if you don't get rid of it, and I think that's why this deck is choosing to play Soul Transfer and Rite of Oblivion over more copies of Go for, the, Go for the Throat and even a card like Infernal Grasp or more Abrades. Like, this deck really just wants to be exiling things, and if you, if you want to play a mid-range deck that exiles, that has the ability to in a good way, this is probably where you want to be. And this deck also just seems like an Orzhov mid-range deck splashing for Blood Tithe Harvester and Fable the Mirror Breaker. It, there's no other red cards in this deck besides one Abrade and two Brotherhood's End in the sideboard. Yeah, and so you have to kind of look at the mana base and ask if it's worth the sacrifice to splash the extra color. Um, because there's a lot of Pain Lands in here. And um, there's also a lot of double white. And there's, a few, there's like double black. Archangel of Wrath also has Colored Kicker as well. Um, there is some percentage of the time where you will just not get to cast your spells with this deck where you would have if you had cut one of the colors. Yes, but it's, I mean, it's probably worth splashing red for the best card in standard. Fable the Mirror Breaker, right? Oh, for sure. I was more talking about splashing black. Yeah, I mean, the, the black splash is just to, I guess the black splash is just to have a little bit better removal and go for the throat and Blood Tithe Harvester with Fable the Mirror Breaker is so devastating for aggro decks, so it really does seem like this deck is just designed to beat aggro. I think you're right, but I also think the Black Splash is to hedge against the control matchup. Uh, you get three copies of Duress in the board, which is an enormous deal. Uh, this deck, without Duress and without Counter Magic, kind of just folds to control decks. Uh, Black gives you a fighting chance against that. Yes. Uh, there's also... This also seems like it's a little bit tech towards, uh, you said the mirror, but a little bit tech towards like mono white mid-range and mono white control because they're playing like four copies of Sanctuary Warden, right? And Soul Transfer and Red Oblivion are some of the best cards to deal with it. Yeah, they're going to get their draw. Yeah, they're going to get the 1-1, one, one, but it's really it's really difficult to get rid of that card once it resolves. And Soul Transfer and Red Oblivion are some of the best cards to do that. And especially because Red Oblivion has flashbacks, so you can do it again for the next one. And, you, and Soul Transfer 
as a creature back from your graveyard to your hand if you have an artifact and an enchantment. And this deck does a really good job of having an artifact and enchantment by having Fable of the Mirror Breaker tokens and also having um, having Reckoner Bankbuster as an artifact with Fable and Wedding as uh, as, a, as an enchantment. I mean, Fable of the Mirror Breaker by itself is an enchantment and an artifact because the creature makes a treasure token. So uh, anyway, I, I, I like what this deck's trying to do. It's a pretty greedy on the meta base though. All right, moving on to number seven, we have Mono Blue Tempo. Or actually, it's number eight, isn't it? Number eight, Mono Blue Tempo. We have Telerian Terror, Hadi Jin as the only creatures in the deck. Sometimes you're just not going to draw your creatures. <laughs> um, we have Instance, and that's it. It's creatures and Instance and Lance. So if you want the most simple deck possible, you play this. It's also a little bit on the budget side if you want to uh, play this, this deck in Arena. We have... Four Impulse, four Consider, two Essence Scatter, three Make Disappear, four Fading Hope, one Flow of Knowledge, four Thirst for Discovery, two Slip Out the Back, two Negate, and three Spell Pierce, and the lands are 22 Islands and an Odawara. How much more simple can you get? The sideboard consists of one Surge Engine, two Record or Bank Buster, two Suspicious Stowaway, one more Essence Scatter, one Pithing Needle, two Invoke the Winds, one more flow of knowledge, two witness protection, two negates, and one shore up. What, what, are, your, what are your thoughts on number eight here, Mono Blue Tempo, and why, why do you think it made the top ten? Uh, Mono Blue Tempo is, like, a very interesting deck. It is extraordinarily good at playing ahead, and by that I mean it has a board state, and it has an advantage on the board. It's very good at keeping that advantage until the opponent is dead. If you have a Talarian Terror or Haughty Jin in play, it can be very difficult for your opponent to resolve a spell for the rest of the game. It's also extremely bad at affecting the board otherwise. So if an aggro deck gets on board, um, you, you could easily be staring at a hand full of, like, Impulse, Essence Scatter, and, like, a card draw spell and just get beaten down. So Mono Blue doing well is kind of reflective of the fact that there's not a great popular aggro deck in the format to punish Mono Blue. Um, it's also very weak to um, Unlicensed Hearse, which until recently was in almost every single sideboard, but less so now. Uh, the less Unlicensed Hearse get, that gets played, uh, the better Mono Blue Tempo will be. I think that's why it's seen an improvement recently. Right. The, the, the more often your opponent will play Unlicensed Hearse, the, less, the more mana Talarian Terror is going to be and the less power Hottigen is going to be. There's no real way to get your cards back out of your graveyard in this deck, but making Talarian Terror as little mana as possible and getting Hadijin as powerful as possible is how you can control the board the whole time, counter your opponent's spells, play a Hadijin on turn like seven, but it's a 10-10, and then all of a sudden your opponent's dead. Uh, your opponent plays a blocker to block the Hadijin to chump block it, um, and then you just bounce the blocker with Fading Hope and kill them. That's like how you're going to win sometimes with this deck. Multiple Hadi Jins almost always wins you the game if your opponent hasn't already out-aggroed you first. Um, this deck will have a problem with Mono Red and with Blue White Soldiers and Mono White Soldiers, some of the decks we've already talked about, and some of the decks that we will talk about next episode. Uh, but, which is the reason why I think it makes the bottom part of the top 10 instead of the top part of the top 10, uh, I think this deck might need a splash in order to be better against the aggro decks and better in general. And I personally have been playing a blue-red tempo deck that plays four Ledger Shredders and four Third Path Iconoclasts 
and also plays Hadigen and Tolarian Terror, and it's been working very well. So maybe we see an adaptation for going towards red or going more towards Demir tempo in order to take care of little threats, because I know, as well as you do, Airball, that I personally have played against Mono Blue, and I've, like, just like almost everyone has, but I've played a, a like, turn one, I don't know, Evolve Sleeper, and it stayed on the board the entire time and just went the distance. Like, yep. it just, and the it, opponent like... just sort of looks at their hand and says, okay. <laughs> pass i guess <laughs> and i'm just like all right pump up pump up the uh, sleeper attack and they're like sure they go to their turn they go they draw a couple cards and pass i go pump it up again draw a card draw a card draw a card draw a card attack for four attack for five attack for six and they just die <laughs> yep um i will also say that, that part of the mono blue is a very skill testing deck to play against um and generally the higher the skill level of the tournament the worse it performs because it really rewards opponents for knowing how to play around counter spells and knowing uh, and and reasoning about what's in the mono blue player's hand uh, and making life difficult for that player. So at like low levels of the arena ladder, mono blue can just dominate a game because the opponent just plays everything into your answers perfectly. Whereas at higher levels of play, they'll be able to make your life more difficult by double spelling, for instance, or by uh, keeping your graveyard. Uh, tidy so that Tolarian Terror doesn't ever resolve or something like that. Right. Another thing another thing to do against these decks is always make the mana really awkward for the mono blue opponent. If you know they could have an essence scatter in hand, you don't want to cast your creature on turn two because it plays right into their hands. It plays into their exactly two mana they need for their, for essence scatter. But if you wait till like turn three, play your essence scatter, now all of a sudden they're playing essence scatter with one mana left over with no way to use the mana. Or or yeah. wait till you play your two mana creature on turn four when they can't really make disappear you. You'll just like pay the extra two mana, and your opponent your opponent's like really looking at their hand like crap. I wish I wish my hand did more, but it wasn't that their their hand did less. It's that you played around what they could have. Yeah, I remember when I was learning to play Magic well at for the first time, and Chemistry's Insight was one of the most popular card draw spells in Standard, and I saw a lot of really good players not deploy a threat on turn three because they knew that their opponent was likely to want to absorb on turn three into Chemistry's Insight on turn four, just wait to resolve their threat until turn four, and now the opponent needs to decide, do I absorb it, or do I want to cast my card draw spell on curve? Just putting the reactive player in a tougher spot where they have to actually make a decision instead of curve out um, goes a long way. And so that's why Mono Blue, I think, uh, does worse the higher the level of play you get. Right. I do want to talk one 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 little bit about Invoke the Winds. It's not a really card you see uh, too often. And all the invokes like Invoke Despair and Invoke Justice have seen way more play. Even Invoke Calamity. The only thing, the only Invoke, I, I honestly, I think the green Invoke still sees more play than Invoke the Winds. So this might be the least played one. But it gains control of an artifact or creature and untaps it, which is pretty good. I mean, if you if you get in a situation where your opponent's doing exactly what I said, just evolve the evolve sleeper a bunch of times and attack and now you have like a seven seven death touch that you can draw cards with that you're attacking for game with you resolve invoke to the winds you have like one or two mana left over after turn five you use this you take their sleeper you untap it or like take their shieldred now you're using your shieldred against them um that's a really good way to a really good way to come back and win the game if you're if you're mono blue but that's po that's post sideboard and it's not really like everything the deck's trying to do but this deck's game plan is like hard countered by car by creatures sticking to the board. Yeah, not just creatures, but also artifacts, uh, which is why this card is such an interesting inclusion, right? Mono blue hates when you have uncounterable ways to spend your mana, like a Reckoner Bankbuster or mm -hmm. something. And this just 
can steal a record or bank buster from your opponent, uh, hopefully before they've gotten too much value off of it. Uh, I, I'm not sure that it's a great sideboard include, but I, I definitely see what they're going for. Yeah, it reminds me of, well, what's that card that people used to play in, like, Demir Rogues or whatever, and that, like, steal, stole your opponent's thing for, like, mana value X or less? Tempted by the Auric or something? Is that, there, is there, that is, the there is that card, but there's also a different card as well. It, it does the same thing as Tempted by the Auric, so we're just, like, being redundant here. But basically, but stealing your opponent's thing has been... Oh, Lull Mage's Domination. That was the one. Yeah, Lull Mage was one, but I'm also thinking about a different one. It was, like, before Lull Mage, but regardless, the uh, a, a sorcery, like, a four-mana plus sorcery that steals your opponent's thing has kind of been a staple in mono-blue sideboards for that very reason. So... Um, moving on to the next deck, number seven, and the second to last deck we'll go over today, actually, is Rakdos Midrange. This is four Bluff Tithe Harvester, three Shield of the Apocalypse, two Graveyard Trespasser, one Soren the Mirthless, one Liliana of the Veil, two Duress, main deck, four Invoke Despair, of course, one Soul Transfer, three Reckoner Bankbuster, four Fable the Mirror Breaker, four Go for the Throat, two Cut Down, and three Abrade. We have four Xander's Lounge and two Zeotaurus Proving Ground in the in the mana base because they're just red black lands that can cycle. We have that are also tapped for black, of course, because you need uh, like twenty two black sources at least for Invoke Despair. One Takanuma, uh, one Soken Zan, and the rest are pain lands and basic lands. And our sideboard here is two Brotherhoods End, one Reckoner Bankbuster, two Unlicensed Hearse, two Duress, one Whack, which is its four mana sorcery. Creature gets minus four, minus four, but it costs three less if it targets a white creature. So we'll talk about that one. Uh, one, one more Liliana of the Veil, two Cut Down, one Stone Brain, one, one more Soul Transfer, and two Burn Down the House. So um, what do you like or dislike about Rakdos or something close to this aggregate build as opposed to Rakdos Splash another color like white or blue that we've seen before? I think in general, I dislike it. So this deck basically asks, hey, what if we played Grixis but without Corpse Appraiser and Counterspells? And I think the answer is that that's giving up a little too much for a better mana base, right? Corpse Appraiser is incredibly good both against aggro and against other mid-range decks. Um, and its replacement like Graveyard Trespasser is just not nearly as good. And I've said this several times on the podcast before, but when Standard is a mid-range miasma pile o thirtle, um, <laughs> being the one who gets to decide what resolves and what doesn't is a really important thing to be able to do. So if you have the counter spells, you can decide what your what spells your opponent casts matter and what ones don't, and just make sure the ones that don't matter are the ones that resolve, and then counter the ones that do. If you are playing Rakdos against Grixis, they get to decide which of your spells resolve and which ones don't. And that is that takes a lot of your agency away. And in a high scale matchup, I think that leaves you with fewer tools. Um, so I, I don't like cutting blue here. But um, I think that one improvement in the mana base is that you play far fewer pain lands, and your lands yep. come in untapped a lot more often. So if you're playing F and M or something, and you know your meta skews more aggro, then I think it's perfectly fine to play this instead of playing Grixis. Yeah, same here. I think if you're playing a mid-range mirror, like you said, you do want to be the agent of who resolves the spells, and having counter spells in your deck, and, and Corpse Appraiser is a very powerful card as well. Exiling your opponent's creatures is also really relevant um, 
to gain card advantage and, and, and fuel your other... It also fuels the graveyard for yourself. Like, if you're playing Tenacious Underdog, you can mill your own underdogs. You can exile your opponent's underdogs. There's a lot of graveyard shenanigans that happen um, that Corpse Appraiser also does that we haven't mentioned. But the this deck is markedly better against aggro than Grixis is, in my opinion, because it plays more removal spells. Four Grove for the Throat, two Cut Down, three Abrade is a lot of cards. It's nine removal spells. Um, two duress main deck, so you do have the chance to take away your opponent's your opponent's counter spells or your opponent's invoke despair. Uh, main deck duress is not something that Grixis has room for. Um, you have Soren the Mirthless and Liliana the Veil, which are powerful planeswalkers. Um, but those do get wrecked by your opponent's invoke despairs. But uh, I think this build is better against aggressive decks than Grixis is, especially since how many pain lands. I'm gonna reiterate what you said. Pain lands Grixis has to play in order to make their mana base work. So, um, I mean there are reasons to play this but like it's kind of a situation like why would you play this over grixis and i don't have a good answer for that it's like you might as well just play grixis yep i think a lot of these cards are mopey concessions to not having blue in the deck i think liliana the veil is just bad in standard right now and this 75 has two of them uh graveyard trespasser is not what it used to be either um yeah, I, I think Grixis is much better I mean, positioned. I think Duress versus Counterspells, though, is an interesting discussion to have, and it's usually good to have uh, discard spells when you're trying to resolve something proactive, like if you have a proactive game plan. Um, it's a lot easier to protect your plan by Duressing away a Counterspell and immediately resolving it than having to hold up Counterspell magic for the entire uh, duration of your plan being uh, resolved, right? Yeah, if you if you have a counter spell to protect your invoke despair, that means you have to hold up uh seven or eight mana where it, as opposed to six with duress and then invoke despair. Yeah. Um there is one other thing I wanted to highlight and I think I might disagree with you with this is that I think Liliana the Veil is good against mid-range the mid-range decks in this format because the mid-range decks if against the non-white mid-range decks the white mid-range decks have Wedding Announcement, which Liliana the Veil is awful against, and I'll give you that. But the non-white mid-range decks like Grixis mid-range, which is the best deck in the format, um, and even Esper mid-range, I think Liliana... Well, I mean, I mean Esper mid-range does also play Wedding Announcement, so I guess just against Grixis mid-range and just against a Rakdos mid-range mirror match, Liliana is very good. But that might be a just sideboard thing to bring it in against Grixis than it is main decking. But they're probably teching also. Uh, this is an aggregate list as well. So some some main deck Liliana, some didn't. Aggregate list has one Liliana main deck. Um, but I think it is good because you're not going as wide in Grixis midrange. You're not, you're not also not going as wide in this. So your opponent's going to play a turn three, uh, three three right. You're, they're going to play their Blood Tide Harvester or something on turn two if you're on the play, and you slam Liliana, you minus kill their Blood Tide Harvester, and now you have the Liliana, and now the ball's in your opponent's court to try to get rid of it, and there's not many haste creatures. Um, and then once, you're, once your Liliana gets to, like, two and three and four loyalty, it's like, dang, how am I going to beat this? Yeah, I can play... You have to, like, double spell creatures, and then they can remove one and Liliana the other one. I think Liliana's really strong in those mirror matches, but if your, deck, if your opponent's deck is playing Wedding Announcement or any way to go wide at all, Liliana is awful. So I don't know if you agree with that or if you have anything else to say about that. Yeah, I, I don't agree with that, really. I, I, so basically you said that the mirror match and Grixis are the place where Liliana shines. I don't think Liliana can possibly shine, really, in a mirror match because uh, her effect is symmetrical, right? Most decks that want to play Liliana are already wanting to discard cards, have good top decks to replenish, 
uh, have good ways to get board states down early under Liliana so that you can empty your hand. I don't think she's very good in the mirror. And Grixis just is a value pile that's able to pull resources out of nothing pretty easily uh, and resolve Invoke Despair, and you don't have any blue to, to deal with it in this deck either. Uh, so that's uh, it's, there's clean ways to answer Liliana in the format that just turns her into basically a three-mana worse murder um, at sorcery speed. I, I'm not a fan of her in, in current standard. Okay. All right, that, that might be just a way that we, that we disagree. I mean, I've definitely played a uh, mid-range deck against Liliana and just felt completely hopeless and Liliana just like controlled the whole game and it felt like super super miserable and I think Liliana can put you in those spots um you don't you know you don't even always have five mana uh to cast Invoke Despair after Liliana because you might like discard a land or or you know we've already talked about what you discard on the podcast on a different episode what you're supposed to discard to a card like Liliana the Veil you're supposed to discard your spells because you're supposed to hit your land drops and and, and draw your spells but when you're put in a situation where Liliana's on the board and then you have a hard time getting rid of Liliana if you don't have um, a card that, a card like Soul Transfer that we do see in lists like this, then um, you're, you could be in for a tough time. But there's also situations where Liliana could be awful too. So anyway, let's go ahead and go over to the last deck that we're going to talk about today. And this comes in at number six. Is it Power Stones? This is a relatively new deck to enter standard, and this deck is basically the artifact deck of the format. It is a deck that ramps into Cityscape Leveler and Skitterbeam Battalion through Power Stones. And if you know, if you've watched any of our upper other episodes or listened to them, I spoke very highly of Power Stones when we were talking about Power Stones, and you, I know you know this. And I said Power Stones were going to make their way into standard, and it was going to be good. There's one thing I got wrong about this, though, Airball. You know what that is? everything no <laughs> i <laughs> i was like this is this i guarantee you this is what's going to make karn the new karn good <laughs> and yeah. it just still was awful <laughs> yeah yeah i'm gonna get my money back on that guarantee that that, uh, that did not pan out uh, but i did i but i did have high hopes for power stones and especially when the might stone and weak stone came out i was like i know we're gonna get something good with this and this is what we've come up with and not not that we've come up with that other people have come up with and have topped tournaments this comes in at number six barely scratches out of the top five we have three skittership leveler four skitter me battalion three brotherhoods end four reckoner bankbuster four might stone weak stone four fable the mirror breaker three abrade two make disappear one negate four stern lesson one Essence Scatter. And then our lands are nothing special, except for it has four copies of Field of Ruin. Holy moly. I mean, wow. Are they just basic checking people? Jeez. Four copies of Field of Ruin. We have uh, our sideboard that consists of two Unlicensed Hearse, one Spell Pierce, one Brotherhood's End, two Strangle, two Sahili Filigree Master, two Disdainful Stroke, one Vaulted Surge, and four, th four copies of Thran Spider. This person does not want to lose his flyers. <laughs> and, I mean, it also ramps you. Wow. So, uh, what, I mean, what, what is your takeaway of the Is It Power Stones deck in the meta? I think Is It Power Stones is very good against, like, Rakdos mid-rangey piles that don't have a great finisher in them. Like, Rakdos just sort of builds and builds and builds and builds until eventually you just die to card advantage and, like, incidental damage. And... Power Stones represents a big over-the-top threat that mid-range decks have a difficult time beating without counter magic. 
and a lot of the other decks that we've discussed so far just don't have great counter magic available to them especially when the counter one of the main counter spells in the format is make disappear which is conveniently a quench that you can pay for with power stones so you cast Stern Lesson on turn three, you have a Power Stone in play, you have Might Stone and Weak Stone in play. All of a sudden, you blank even a casualty version of their Make Disappear fairly easily. And you have just seven copies of Giant 8 and 9 drops. <laughs> uh, and the opponent can try to counter one, two, three, but one of them, one of them has Unearth, so that can't even be countered. Um, this deck can really go over the top if you let it get there. The only real recourse is to get them dead before they get to that point in the game. Right, and this deck doesn't have a lot of removal spells. It has three Abrades and three Brotherhood's End, and that is the extent of the removal spells in the in game one. So if you're playing against Mono Red or even Mono Blue sometimes, or even like uh, Blue Eyed Soldiers, you're going to roll over this deck if it can't counter your creature with Make Disappear early on enough. Um, this deck is really trying to either draw Brotherhood's End or ramp fast enough to cast like My Stone Weak Stone, and Skitter Beam Battalion and Cityscape level to like gum up the board enough to where you can't win if you're aggro, to like ramp hard enough. This is like the ramp deck that's not even playing green. <laughs> if you had the pleasure of copying Cityscape Leveler with a flipped Fable of the Mirror Breaker. I have not. It is delightful. Oh, I need to do that. Getting to attack with one, like unearth a Cityscape Leveler, uncounterable, copy it with Fable of the Mirror Breaker, attack, destroy two permanents and deal 16. Gosh, that feels Trample. so insane. Like... Wow. Okay, I need to do that. Opponent. Yeah. It, it it's weird that I've 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 like I've played this deck for my YouTube channel and I had, did not get to do that. So like I want to do that now. But it's wonderful. When Skitterbeam Battalion comes out, like you're just dead. Like this thing is talking about clocks. Like this thing's a two turn clock by itself. Yeah. Uh, the sideboard here has more removal spells in it. There's the fourth copy of Brotherhood's End, Brotherhood's End two Strangles, and one Vaulted Surge. And like four Thrand Spiders is like, I guess, blockers. But geez, even post-board, this feels removal light, right? Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think that this deck is also taking heavy advantage of how sing how dominant single target removal is in the format versus uh, sweepers. Um, Brotherhood's End is, I think, the only sweeper we've we've seen so far, um, other than like a one of farewell. We, 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 we saw like we saw like a two and, of like Shadow of the Sky. It wasn't Shadow of the Sky, it was the other one. Two depopulates in, in one of the builds. Depopulate, yeah. Uh, but very little in the way of board sweepers in this format right now, with the exception of Brotherhood's End. Um, and Brotherhood's End does not hit the uh, Skitterbeam Battalion tokens if you cast it for nine. And even if they do have Brotherhood's End, it's still just a one-for-one one with the three tokens that you create for the prototype cost. Um, being able to tax your opponent for three single-target removal spells for one card in hand that only cost you five, that's pretty good, especially when they come in with haste and get to do their uh, their damage right away. Also, this deck blanks a lot of removal from opponents' opponents' decks. As you've seen, every black deck has played at least three copies of Go for the Throat, sometimes four in the 75, yeah. and Go for the Throat does absolutely zero against this deck outside of, like, killing Fable tokens. It kills Fable, and that's, like, the only card it possibly can kill in the whole deck, right? Even post-board? Yeah, yep. I can't even kill Thrand Spider. So you're blanking a lot of removal, and you're leaving your opponents to only draw, like, their Abrades or their Laydown Arms if they're playing that. Or, like, using Wandering Emperor or something. but Or, or maybe even, or maybe, like, um, I don't know, Soul Transfer. But those cards have been one-ofs, two-ofs at the most. So you're blanking a lot of removal spells by playing this deck also. I'm fascinated by the four Field of Runes. Um, yeah, like, why? Just looking at the, 
well, I, I think I think it's justified. Maybe not four, but look at the look at the mana requirements of the deck. Almost everything, almost every spell is half color, colorless mana or more, and most of them are entirely colorless. So you don't really need much in the way of colored mana. And if you look at the other decks in the format, there are a lot of three-color mid-range piles with very specific color costs. Even if your opponent does have basics, it could be very hard for them if you kill their dual lands to be able to cast all of their spells. Field of Rune is, I think, a pretty cool include. I want to see how much it can actually put the opponent on their back foot. Okay, well, let's look at the other decks that we've seen so far, since this is the last deck, and we'll see for ourselves how, how Field of Ruin will do against them. Uh, let's see, against the Rakdos midrange deck, there are nine swamps and one mountain. So that's not going to do enough. But the, the Rakdos midrange deck is only playing two colors, so let's talk about Mono Blue. Definitely not doing anything. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean... Um, Doesn't do much there. Kills Autowara. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mardu midrange one swamp two plains there's no mountain in here so one swamp and two plains so you have to draw like all four to start stone raining which is like not good enough right but I, but I guess there's enough double white in here I mean there's two planes so I was going to say there's enough double white to get them off double white but there's two planes in the deck so it's probably not going to get them off double white but it might get them off like double off, off like double spelling with two blood tithe harvest in a sudden turn or something right yeah and it might make it hard for them to do the color kicker on archangel of wrath i agree with you that i don't think it's a huge impact against this deck i think this deck survives field of ruin pretty well uh let's check boros midrange which is the only other deck we went over today and that is nine planes and two mountains so not not yeah, looking so too hot in the decks that we've already mentioned but um, in the next episode, we will talk about Grixis midrange, and it might be just a concession to that. Maybe that only plays, like, one basic. Wait, you're telling me, a spoiler alert, you're telling me Grixis midrange is in the top five decks in Standard? I know it's a super spoiler, I'm sorry if you, if, if you in the audience do hate spoilers, but we haven't talked about Grixis midrange in detail yet, but we've talked about it a lot, and it's in the top five. <gasps> oh my goodness. Sorry guys, blame him. I, I, I said I said it. It's in the top five. Okay, you just just rick me over the coals now. <laughs> but um, yeah, that that is our number ten uh, through number six. We're gonna go number five through number one in the next episode. Number ten once again. Number ten Boros midrange. Number nine Mardu midrange. Number eight Mono Blue Tempo. Number seven Rakdos midrange. And number six is it power stones what is the next what is the five what's four what's three two or one find out on the next episode um do you have anything else to say about these 10 through six and um what what do you think makes it into the top five at all hey i, I know like you you know technically okay <laughs> well, but what do you think what do you cheating, think I... makes it outside uh, looking well, outside I, looking I... in what, what what do you think makes it out of what we talked about uh i think it's pretty clear that grixis made it i think that's fair to say um, I think Esper also. I've seen a lot of that on the ladder lately. I'm pretty sure Esper's going to make it. Yeah, yeah. Um, soldiers probably as well. But uh, if you ha if you put a gun to my head and had me guess the last two, I'm not sure I'd get them right. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I want to say, because I'm not sure we called this out at the beginning, is that what we are looking for. If you just can't wait until next week and you need to see what the top five are, the, this article is uh, one by Frank Karsten on uh, the Magic website. Yep. 
we'll put the link uh, wherever it's convenient for you guys to click it. But if you look at his article uh, recently at magic.gg, you can check it out there. And I will say, if Frank Harston writes anything, you should run, not walk to read it. The guy is incredibly intelligent. And uh, what he has to say is always worth reading. Yes, and even even for mana bases index, he has incredible mana base articles, and that's what I use to build my mana bases in my decks. And I think what just like the general magic community believes in mad in mana base numbers, right? Oh yeah, Frank Carson is the authority on everything math related in magic. No, I'm not exaggerating. He is the guy you go to when you need to know about uh, anything math related in the subject. So yes, please go to magic.gg news and look at that and we'll put the link where it is convenient. Anyways, thank you so much to everybody for listening and especially to those who made it this far. Make sure to give us a follow to see our next episodes. Subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at Nuts and Bolts Pod and we will see you in the top eight. See you guys.